I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. In high school, we were best friends. And now that we're old, we're still best friends. And we both really love the show Friends. We love it so much that we thought we'd rewatch it together and tell you all about it. So join us to find out all the details that two people who weren't there can find out from the internet. Could, Could there, there be, be better, better friends, friends watching Friends? friends? Jump in Jehoshaphat. It's gonna be okay. Very professional, indeed. I'm Ashley. I'm Sarah. And we're best friends. For how long? Uh, maybe 20 years almost. Since sophomore year, right? Of, of high school. 15. Oh, so like tw- 22 years. Way to date us. Thank you. That's a long time. Okay. So almost as long as it's been since Friends debuted, which was 25 years ago. This is true. And how perfect to have a podcast commemorating our friendship and the amazingness that is the Friends TV show. Always in the fall and winter months, I feel the, like I need to get back and like rewatch the entire 10 seasons. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's all the Thanksgiving episodes, but I feel just like when it starts to get cold and rainy, I just want to binge watch Friends. So this came about because we were like, why aren't the Friends doing a podcast? Like everyone else is doing a rewatch podcast. Where are the Friends doing the Friends podcast? And Courtney Cox was like, oh, I started rewatching the show in quarantine. And I'm like, and let's talk about it. Like, So to fill the void. <laughs> And I feel like most of the cast members are either currently have projects that they're working on or have become major movie stars. No one's working right now in quarantine. So what are they doing? We're picking up the slack and we're going to rewatch Friends and give you all the details. All the details to people who weren't there can find out from the internet. (laughs) That should be our tagline. Yeah, that's a good one. So here we are. So here we are. I'm so happy to be with you. Me too. Um, and this also spurned from just our reconnection over quarantine of creating a weekly Zoom to just hang out and talk because um, we're both very bad on the phone. Mm-hmm. Really bad. Um, and I just, I feel like I need to be able to see your face. Yeah. And, and uh, it just brings me back and it grounds me. So we've been doing that for about oh my gosh like two months maybe probably Almost. something like that yeah and we haven't missed a week and in, in fact we've increased our frequency so um this is going to just allow us to see each other a lot more and it makes me makes me happy and fills my bucket me too my bucket gets to be extra full now we have more than one meeting every week and we kept joking about our like our weekly Tuesday meeting was like our show and then we started inviting our friends on to that show that no one ever saw and we were like we should record this and now here's a real show we will have some guests um some guests on um some some amateur friends they're like friend spurts maybe yes yes amateur friend spurts that will um, join us on a summer, some episodes to um, take some deep dives into, um, into some episodes. So I'm excited for that. Me too. There may be also like, you know, some significant others being forced to come on. Like, I think 
yours is pretty familiar with friends, mine, not so much. And he has really great wisdom, such as he doesn't know the words to the theme song at all. And he includes the words jump in Jehoshaphat in it when he sings it. So it's adorable. It's adorable. He will provide some excellent commentary, I'm sure, and questions that we can we can probably answer. That's true. Yeah, I keep we keep talking about things. He'll bring up some real life topic, and I'm like, you know, there's a friends about that, and I think it's starting to get on his nerves. So it's good that we're doing this. So I have an outlet for it. <laughs> um, so to get going, how did you first hear of friends? Um, so I think I have the world's worst memory um because i i don't remember hearing about it other than i was a huge fan of the thursday night nbc lineup since i can remember um and all of their shows i am just i just nerd out on so um i think i watched it a couple times it was just like i love this and caught it anytime i could i think in college when it or when it ended, I was really sad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I went looking for the DVDs, but I was so broke, I couldn't afford the whole 10 seasons. So I would just find it streaming where I could, or not not even streaming at that point. Yeah, they didn't even have that then. No, I would find um, like little snippets and clips where I could. But I think when you got the box set from China, I was like stoked. <laughs> and that's when the friends sleepover slumber parties happened. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so I got that box set because I also couldn't afford the, I don't think they had the full 10 seasons here. You had to buy them season by season. Mm-hmm. And I think I got that on in the early days of eBay. Um, and it would only play in certain DVD players and it had cert- a lot of scenes cut out. <laughs> but I have like four or five friends. I think one of our, one person who will eventually come on has still the copies I made for her of those discs. So we copied them laboriously, like one by one by one. And there's no marking of which episode is on what. It's just like no delineation between seasons. It's just like (laughs) episodes in a row. Um, So that's a real challenge. I have since upgraded. I don't know what I did with that other one. I have the the current real ones but now of course we have streaming so it's made life easier so when did you hear when did you hear about friends do you remember I do actually I so we were it came out in 94 so we were like 11 ish um and I my mom had said like I was too young it was too mature for me um and she I remember that was during the time when everyone would get BMG um subscriptions it was like the 12 cds for a penny and because all my all my friends were talking about friends and i didn't know what it was i got the soundtrack for season one from bmg and listened to it over and over and over and they have clips from different episodes in this in between the songs and so i knew like monologues from the show but i'd never seen the episodes and so now when i watch those episodes i know the like whole speech by heart because i listened to it so many times um, and then I don't, I don't know when I really started watching it regularly, but same for the Thursday nights. Like once I got older, this and Seinfeld being on back to back was a dream come true. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Sein, Sein, I grew up watching Seinfeld. So when that start, yeah. when friends started, it just, I just 
stayed watching. <laughs> that was like Thursday was Friends Day. That was like oh. a heavy hitting day for a long time. I can give you some stats about it. It was watched by 52 and a half million people. Like back in the day when like people had to choose. The very first episode was? Oh, the finale. Sorry. Oh, I'm like, damn. <laughs> I feel like it, like people don't realize what a big deal it was. Like the show was massive and they almost didn't have a final season and like all the actors were like the highest paid and they were the first cast to like really bond together to get a promotion like to get more money. And um, they, I think for the most watched series finale, it's only been beat by four others, one of which was Seinfeld um, and then Cheers and MASH. All very iconic also all very long-running shows Mm -hmm. like you said about the seasons like I think I can mark my mood by what season I pick to watch or what episode I can totally tell where I'm at based on that um and I remember in high school there was an episode where uh, or when you and I were in high school there's an episode where Ross gets an 18-page letter from Rachel that she writes him and I wrote my friend like, we thought that was so funny. So I wrote her an 18-page letter front and back, and it took me, like, weeks to finish it. And most of the time, I was just like, when's this over? I can't wait to be done with this letter. Um, so it was quite a big deal. You really wanted to be a friend, didn't you? I really did. I still do. I <laughs> Is know. it too late? <laughs> you are. You, you made oh, it, Sarah. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Although very much less annoying. <laughs> I love them. They definitely take their turns as being the worst. Oh, I was also going to say that um, Netflix used to stream Friends before it was on HBO, and they actually announced that they were going to remove it in 2018. And there was a change.org petition done by like 100,000 people, (laughs) which means it gets to the White House. It was close. And um, people revolted so much that Netflix announced they were bringing it back for another year. I remember that. (laughs) Do you remember how they announced it? No, I don't. They put up a picture of Ross as the holiday armadillo. (laughs) And they said, like, don't worry. Your friends are back for another year. (laughs) That's brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I do remember, though, that when they announced that, they were going to take it off Netflix, I I kind of panicked because I Mm -hmm. don't pay for a lot of streaming services. Netflix is like one of the only ones. Yeah. I was just like, how am I going to watch it? I I have to get my yearly fix of friends. What am I going to do? I I have the box set and I was like, what am I going to do? I have to get a DVD player out like a monster and play these DVDs. (laughs) What if it scratches? I know. What am I going to do? But if it's three in the morning and I just want to push play on something because I can't sleep. I seriously thought, I'm like, I, I need to get my hands on the DVDs because I want to, I want to be able to listen to the commentary. I want to see all the bloopers, like all the extras mm-hmm. um, that I've just pilfered off of YouTube. I'm like, maybe, I, you know, I love this thing so much. I can probably pay for it now that I'm in my late thirties. <laughs> now that it's been 25 years and it's probably yeah. totally affordable finally. Totally. So, yeah, I tried really hard. So I have the DVD box set of the whole 10 seasons. It is in storage storage currently, like while we're in transition. And it is in the most inaccessible place in our storage unit of all time. And so I even tried to go online 
there's like this local community group called buy nothing and you can like borrow things from neighbors and I went on there and was like who has the season one DVDs like I need to find the commentary it is not available online anywhere that I could find I couldn't find any bloopers for this episode um so I couldn't find I have no commentary from this one but that's okay that's okay I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about do you have a favorite friend Okay, so I feel like it completely varies from episode to episode. And and I think that it normally fluctuates between Ross and Phoebe. I think that overall Ross is probably like has the best episodes across the entire arc of the of the series. Like his his episodes are my favorites. Like Oh my God, the the leather pants is one of like my all time. I, I, I just, I can't even, I just can't even. Um, but what I really appreciate and love about Phoebe is just her like blatant honesty and how she doesn't sugarcoat anything. She's just like her true authentic self, whether it's like off-putting or awful or whatever, it, or genuine and wonderful. And it's just completely, she lives like moment to moment. And I like, love that. Yeah. That's really sweet. I like that about Phoebe. I think people kind of like write her off a lot as just like this dopey hippie, but she really is like so honest, like in this one. And she's like, oh, I would, but I just don't want to. <laughs> yep. I know. And, and that was when she was just like, oh, I like, I wish I could be that honest. Yeah, totally. Sometimes. You yeah. know, I kind of aspire to be, to be that direct. Yeah. <laughs> I agree about Ross too. His episodes, when Ross is being ridiculous, it, it is like, I, I can't manage. When he's taking the couch up the stairs and screaming pivot, I cannot, yes. <laughs> I just can't. It's so good. And I I also have been told, like, of the friends, I think I'm most like Ross. Um, yes. Which at times I'm like, this is upsetting. And at times I'm like, this is wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. You have all the endearing qualities of Ross as well as the neuroses. And that's why I love you. <laughs> you you've probably got some Phoebe in you. I don't think you have much like, maybe some Chandler, but in like, not a, not like a Chandlery way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I do for a job. That's true. I do know what you so do. That, that's where we we're different. Um, my husband, Tyler would probably say I'm more like Monica. Really? In being, yeah, I, I'm a little anal retentive about some things. Okay. I'm not, I'm not a neat freak, but I get a little naggy. I will say that you do like to tell people how to eat sometimes in a very nice way. Like you like to tell people <laughs> to enhance their own eating experience. You should eat that with that and that with that. But it's not um, like aggressive. <laughs> it's chefy. This is a well-known fact about me, known by my friends and family. Um, my, my, uh, they call me the Dominatrix. <laughs> oh my God, that's the best. Yeah, um, yeah. my brother-in-law and sister-in-law call me the Dominatrix because I'm constantly telling them to eat that with that. <laughs> the best is too when you're not eating and you're like, oh, you should eat this this way. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, so I might have a little Monica in me as well. Um, But that's what I think is so great about this group of people and how well they cast it. 
mm-hmm. was that like there's such a good balance of each other. And um, I think I remember reading on Wikipedia that they were going to try and make the characters of Je- uh, Joey and Chandler to be more similar. But then they they wanted to dumb after the first episode they wanted to dumb Joey down a bit and I I actually think that was a brilliant idea because if they were their differences is what complement each other yeah Agreed. and if they're too much the same like it just it just wouldn't have worked as well to play off of the weird humor and the weird idiosyncrasies so I I just I love how the casting worked and who they picked and and how the characters developed. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think in this one, you don't get to see as much of the, like, I mean, you see some of the womanizer Joey, but you don't get to see as dumb as he gets later and how, like, vulnerable he becomes. This one, he's, like, almost trying to be, like, motorcycle, like, I'm from the cast of Grease guy. Like, Yeah, he's, like, macho man. I will say, he looks really good. Yeah. Like, none yeah. of them are perfect. None right. of them are ideal in any way, shape, or form. They yeah. all have their weirdness and their faults. Um, so yeah. I, I liked I liked the direction that they went after yeah. the pilot. I agree. Very much so. Um, well, maybe we should talk about casting then. Um, I noticed you did a very deep dive on, <laughs> on casting and uh, the creation of the show. I maybe have a new segment that I've titled The Central Perk that is Facts About Friends. (laughs) I did do a very deep dive. Um, I have several references, too, just to make sure people get credit where credit's due because a lot of plagiarism's going on. Um, From mentalfloss.com, the Florida Times Union online. I don't know about that publication at all, but uh, obviously Wikipedia and ScreenRant.com. Lastly, I did use YouTube for a Tampax commercial that we can address in just a second. I can't wait. But while I was doing the research, I did actually make a donation to Wikipedia because it popped up with the alert and I was like, oh man, there are like 200 plus episodes of this show. I'm going to need Wikipedia among all (laughs) the other like millions of research papers I've written where I quote unquote, did not use Wikipedia <laughs> as a source. Um, hey, shout out to Wikipedia. Yes. We love you. Mm-hmm. We need you. Yes. And everyone who contributes, we thank you. Yes. So um, back to casting. Okay. So the part of Ross Geller was actually written specifically for David Schwimmer. Um, I guess one of the creators had worked with him previously and they were hoping he would do it but apparently there's this famous thing that Eric McCormick from Will and Grace, who plays Will, he auditioned two or three times and he's talked about it, how like he really thought he was going to get the part, but they didn't tell him they had written it for a swimmer, but like the network required auditions. And so <laughs> he auditioned a couple times and did not get it. And Aww, poor Eric. <laughs> I think he's perfect for like, he probably could have played Ross because he's cut Will from Will and yeah. Grace is kind of Rossi. I could I could see that. Yeah. For sure. But like Will and Grace has a special place in my heart too. So it all worked out fine. But Schwimmer was the first person to get cast out of the six. Um, Kathy Griffin and Jane Lynch um, both auditioned to play Phoebe, which would have been very interesting. No, Lisa Kudrow is Phoebe. Like, there's no possible way anyone else could have been been cast. 
in that way. Yeah, I think Kathy Griffin would have been like pretty abrasive. It would have been like too much. Mm-hmm. And Jane Lynch is like too, maybe too mean to be Phoebe. Yeah, I can't picture it. I, lo- I love them both yes. for, for all of their projects that they've done. But um, yeah, no, 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 no. But apparently the two of them became friends from the audition. Oh, have they done any work together? I did not do a deep dive on Oh, this. that's a good question. I did. I stopped my dive right there, but I don't know. Oh, we'll have to, we'll have to do some follow-up on that. Let me make a note. Okay. Um, so for Chandler, John Cryer uh, from Two and a Half Men and John Favreau were both considered to play Chandler. Um, apparently this guy named Craig Bierko was supposed to be the original choice for Chandler and he turned it down. Oh, Craig. That's like the, who's the, the Beatle that, who was the original Beatle that like left the band early on? No one, no one knows (laughs) because he didn't say yes. Exactly. (laughs) He played the jazz musician in Sex and the City who played Carrie's body like a cello. Remember that guy? (laughs) I do. I do. That's Craig. So I guess well, he's doing fine. He got to do that. So that's that's good. So Matthew Perry, he was actually locked into another pilot called LAX 2194 that was about baggage handlers at LAX who sorted the luggage of aliens. Okay, so I saw this <laughs> and I, I didn't I didn't know what to think um, other than I understand why it wasn't picked up. (laughs) Correct. Yeah, I think so. I think what I read was that they offered him this job, like assuming that show wouldn't go. And of course it didn't go. And so he took this one. Courtney Cox, she was supposed to play Rachel originally, but she felt Monica was a stronger character. And she felt like she was more Monica than Rachel. She was the most famous of the six when they started because she was in that Springsteen video dancing. Um, and apparently it was in many well-known commercials. I did a deep dive trying to figure out, okay, she was well-known for commercials. What was she known for? The only one I could find was this Tampax commercial. And I'm going to play it for you because it is just astounding. Like this is, <laughs> I'm assuming this is the late 80s, early 90s. And just like the things that they say about how it's going to change your life about your period is just, it's hilarious. So, oh, so oops. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God. Oh my God. Can I please just highlight the women in the background in leotards doing deep squats? (laughs) As if like, that's what I'm looking for in a Tampax pad. I just want to be able to do a lot of squats with no issues. (laughs) In a leotard. Right. Correct. And also like, if you go watch this commercial, you'll see she is wearing, it looks to be underwear over a shirt. Like shirts tucked in, and then her hair appears to be bigger than her entire head. <laughs> oh, oh! Uh, it didn't change anything about my period. If anything, it made me hate it more. Watching that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well done, Courtney. Well done. Right. Uh, okay. So on the flip side, Jennifer Aniston was actually considered to play Monica. But she read for the part of Rachel in the end. So Lisa Kudrow was actually already playing Ursula on Mad About You when they cast her. Oh, yeah. You remember that? She was the waitress. I very much watched Mad About You every week. 
I loved that show. The producers of Mad About You and the producers of Friends encouraged her to take both roles because like Mad About You is an NBC show as well. And so they knew that that was going on and her, her role on Mad About You was like part-time anyway. Um, and it was the people on Friends who decided to address her being on two shows by creating Ursula. Um, and Lisa Kudrow was the second person cast about a month after Schwimmer. So that's how everyone got cast. Apparently a thousand people replied to the call-outs for each role. Um, whatever a call-out is, I don't know what that is. I guess an audition. I, I, I think that's like an audition. It's like, <laughs> I think. And then 75 people were actually called in to read for the casting director. Um, and then we got our six. So I did find out, which I didn't, I, this is like such a silly fact, but um, Schwimmer is actually a couple years younger than Courtney Cox, even though he was supposed to be like the older brother. I loved that little factoid. I thought that, that was kind of interesting that she, even though she was older, she could still play the younger sister. I was like, way to go, Courtney. <laughs> Totally. It helps that they all look 35, too. So they, in the 90s, everyone looked like they were 35. It's all the, fa- it's the fashion. It's the fashion. Um, yeah, I don't really want to bring up my fashion from the 1994 because it was rough. <laughs> okay, okay. So let's see what else we have about casting. Chandler and Phoebe were originally intended to be just secondary characters. They were not supposed to be part of the main four or the main group. It was just supposed to be the four Um, And they were there for comedic reprieve. Um, But by the time they finished casting everybody, they expanded it to all six of them officially. Um, And before the show aired, they were all sent to Caesar's Palace in Vegas to bond together because the director said he had a feeling about the show. Oh, I love that. So they got got to like have a little like (laughs) pre-party. Yeah, he told them, this is your last chance at an anonymity. Um, and once the show comes on the air, you guys will never be able to go anywhere without being hounded. Wow. He just knew. That's awesome. So he, wow, he was very confident. And the fun part about them going to Caesar's Palace in Vegas before the show <gasps> aired, it comes back in season five. It does. They all go to Caesar's Palace in Vegas. Oh my God. It does. Oh, there's a whole arc uh, with Caesar's Palace. Oh, Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Also, another fun fact from the Central Perk fact files. (laughs) 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 I'll narrow down a name someday. Um, Ross and Rachel, originally not supposed to be the main relationship. Did you read this already? No. Do you want to guess who the main relationship was supposed to be? I feel like it would be Monica and somebody, but no, I have no idea. Monica and Joey. (laughs) Hmm. No. Yeah. I feel like that's really gross. Like maybe Joey later, but it's really gross. I don't like it at all. I just don't see it ever working out. Like the, 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 the extremes are just too extreme. Yeah. Oh my and there's God. no, like... Sorry to interrupt you. I didn't even think about his penchant for eating everywhere and her OCD. Like, that would uh-huh. be a, a minefield. So I immediately went to the episode where um, where Rachel 
like moves in and stays with him and they eat spaghetti off the floor. <laughs> You're at Joey's. You're at Joey's. Like that's the perfect reason. She she leaves Monica's to go eat spaghetti off the floor with Joey. It would never work. Right, no. Monica doesn't do crummies. She can't have crummies. And then lastly, it was originally supposed to be called Insomnia Cafe. It's the real t- original title for the show. Then they changed it to Friends Like Us. This is really fun to watch your face. <laughs> and then, <laughs> getting more and more disgusted. <laughs> and then the final, uh, the one before Friends was Six of One. I just want to pause for like a very dramatic effect at how much I hate the title <laughs> Six of One. I, I don't. <laughs> Insomnia Cafe sounds like a 20 minute terrible song. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why. I, it I, sounds like something we would have written in high school, honestly. Oh, it does. Oh my God. A like, it's a Phoebe song, is what yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. It's possible that one of us did write a poem called Insomnia Cafe uh-huh. that was like eight yeah. pages long. Um, but six of one. I don't know what that means either. Like that just made my head explode a little bit. Like why? Good choice on friends. Friends is better. Well done. I couldn't even come up with like any ration, like any explanation for what six of one might mean. Like, is it a gambling term? Like I couldn't think of anything. I I mean, there's six show. That's all I have. (laughs) I hate it. I'm, I'm glad that they went through the revision process and um, and did the right thing. So we should probably get into, like, the show. Yeah, finally, right? I know. So <laughs> this is the pilot episode, um, debuted September 22nd, 94, not far from October, which is your favorite time to watch Friends. It is, yep. Obviously debuted in the U.S. originally, has since been syndicated in 100 countries. The pilot was written by David Crane and Marta Kaufman, directed by James Burroughs. Um, and I have just got to say, can I just name a couple of crazy good shows that have been directed by James Burroughs throughout the years? Because I, I was like blown away at this guy's um his whole rap sheet it was Laverne and Shirley um on our own the Hogan family Night Court Wings Frasier News Radio Third Rock from the Sun Darman Grade Caroline in the City and as we mentioned before Will and Grace wow this guy had some like acting or directing chops no kidding. Like, those yeah. are all very successful. I mean, I'm sure they're not going to list his unsuccessful shows, but those are all huge. I I will note, I only listed the ones that I knew because some of them <laughs> I would like, I've never heard of this, but those are the ones that resonated with me that I'm like, those are good shows. Yeah. So, um, wow. I think that, you know, what you said about the writer the writers having a good feeling about the show it helps when you bring in like a director that knows what he's doing too Mm -hmm. totally so this episode the script for this episode um was written in three days by Kaufman and Crane 
Um, and, oh, actually, I have a fact about James Burroughs. Apparently, he really liked the script, but he's the one that asked that they dumb down Joey. Oh, brilliant, James. Yeah, brilliant. Right? Um, they filmed eight hours of footage on four cameras, so they had two hours per camera, and then they had to edit that down to 22 minutes, which is baffling to me. I don't even... Like when I watch a show, I'm like, oh, this is so great. It's so perfect. But I don't even think about how much footage you have to cut out to get 20 minutes of a show. Yeah. I mean, that's in the biz. Don't they call that like left on the editing floor or something yeah. Something like that? I'm yeah. probably saying it totally wrong. You sound just like you're in the biz. Thanks. Sure. I'm not. <laughs> um. So this was the 15th most watched TV show of the week that it came out. Do you want to take a guess at how many viewers it had? Oh, I'm so bad at numbers like this because I don't even know how many people are in the world. Um, oh. Well, yeah, they, they don't have these stats anymore because like everything's on all the time now. Yeah. So. Okay. I don't even know how to reference this, but 5 million. Not even close. <laughs> 20 million. Very close. It was 22 million people watched the premiere. <laughs> I, was, I was so off. I'm so sorry. It's still like, I think now shows, if they get like a million viewers, that's huge because there's just so much content. But when, the, when like in the 90s, like sh TV was still going off the air at midnight. Like content didn't go all day. There wasn't 24 yeah. hour content. And there were you were stuck with the time frame and the like network shows that you had. Yeah. Um, yeah. I so yeah, that that is impressive. Yeah. Um, it aired at 8:30 on Thursday, on a Thursday, and I I couldn't find this anywhere, and we can research it later, but I don't know that it ever left Thursday. I think it was always on on Thursdays. For 10 I I think that you are absolutely right on that until it, like it went to syndication, but mm -hmm. it was always part of the Thursday night NBC lineup. That's crazy to never change time slots. Yeah. In 10 years. I mean, maybe like the time changed, but 10 years on the same day. I do want to see if it changed times. Um, but it, I, to me, it feels like it was always at 830. So we'll have to, we'll have to I think you're right because I think Seinfeld was a little more risque and it was at nine. Like it was mm -hmm. like a little bit later for the, like people who are watching Friends are going to go right to bed at nine and not watch Seinfeld. <laughs> but um, speaking of Seinfeld, I think you had a note about this as well. I did. I did. Um, so it was widely compared to um, the model of the sitcom that Seinfeld and Ellen embodied which was basically about friends conversing. So people sitting around and talking about nothing or life or things that seemed unimportant or trivial or everyday. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say that when going back to where you said that the, it was written in this, this script was written in three days. Mm-hmm. This is definitely not one of my favorite episodes in no. any way, shape, or form. Like, it very much feels like a pilot. Mm -hmm. Like, the characters are very underdeveloped. Um, the, the banter's really topical, and, like, there's not a whole lot of depth. 
So I feel like they were just kind of exploring the relationships and like how they relate to each other and seeing what the dialogue trends could be between between the characters. Yeah. Uh, but with this episode particularly, it seems to jump from scene to scene really quickly. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, it almost seems unfinished in that way because it is like, there's no like good transition. It's like, okay, that's over. We're over here now. And there's like some stupid music put in between. But it just like cuts to silence than the music. And there's no like laugh track. It's just like, yeah. It feels yeah. not finished, but we get a lot of establishing stuff in this. Like, it's an important this is true. one. This is true. But, yeah, not my favorite. <laughs> um, so this one has, oh, on the, just one more thing about the Seinfeld thing. I read that a critic said, one of, <laughs> he said, this show was Seinfeld plus two or Ellen plus five. That was his comment about this show. That's that's very smart commentary. <laughs> Not that ours is any smarter, but um, but still, like like you were saying, it was compared like Seinfeld and Ellen were huge shows when this came out, and so they're just like uh, it's just like these shows with more people. Exactly. Um, so, all right. Well, should I uh, should I hit you with a summary? Yes. All right, so I went through um, our favorite Wikipedia. Among other um, fandom and other fan websites, and all the summaries were way too long, so I made it my own. Um, So hopefully this encompasses it all for you. In a New York coffee shop called Central Perk, a group of six 20-somethings lament about life. While there, Monica's old friend from high school, Rachel Green, shows up just having run out on her wedding. She decides to stay indefinitely with Monica. Meanwhile, Monica's older brother, Ross, informs the group that his wife is a lesbian and has left him. And Monica goes on a date with Paul, the wine guy from her work, and learns a very important lesson about dating. Superb. There's my summary. (laughs) Very well done. Thank you. Yeah, very succinct, too. Hey, you got to keep it short and sweet. It's true. I am, I am definitely long-winded and not great at summarizing, so <laughs> great job. All right, so we open the episode with Monica, Chandler, Joey, and Phoebe sitting um, in, in Central Park in their, their iconic um, couch, and they're just talking, like we said, about things. <laughs> the one thing that I did that was like very different from this one that I don't know I ever paid attention to before um there's no like cold open I guess you'd call it or I call it from SNL like it's just the theme song that's true I did not even notice that it just takes you right into it yeah and then the theme song also has no clips in it like it's just the dancing in the fountain whereas late like every other episode has clips from that season in the in the opening credits that's a really good catch um and i will say that like the fact that you say that there's no cold open the series of scenes that skip around to the, from their conversations 
when the like when the opening scene starts feels like a bunch of cold open smushed together yeah like they weren't quite sure about the format or Mm -hmm. popular enough to like have people tune in and be like what's this show without a theme song (laughs) exactly yeah the other funny thing I noticed about the theme like not even past theme song sorry but what other thing I noticed about it was that in every other episode when they have the clips going in the theme song um when the clapping portion of the song starts, they have like clips, they show a clip of like actual people clapping or like hitting or like doing something that is clapping. And oh. in this one, if you wa- if you watch it and notice, they're just dancing. Like there's not even any kind of clapping while the clapping happens, which I was kind of disappointed about because like for however many 200 plus other episodes, there is like clapping when the clapping happens, but not this one. They're just dancing. It's not even like a movement that could be rhythmic. (laughs) It's just whatever in the fountain. (laughs) I know you're in the coffee shop. I wanted to tell you one more thing before you get there. Um, I don't think I ever paid attention to the fact that it's Monica that pulls the the string on the lamp at the end of the theme song. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What do you? What's your commentary on that? What does it mean? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's important. I just like really never paid it. I just was like, oh, you'll be there for me to click. And, and I just like went off. And this time, because I was really, I'm trying to be a very good investigative podcaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, wow, I, that's something I really never paid attention to. And then I rewound it and looked at them and they're all sitting like boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. And Chandler's the only one who has his feet up on the fountain. Everyone else is like sitting normally and Chandler has his feet up. So. I have a slight theory about maybe just like the importance of Monica. And maybe we can, I don't know if it's something that we can track, but it's just an intuition. Um, I think that maybe, especially from the, this, this pilot, I feel like she's kind of the glue sometimes that holds the group together. Mm-hmm. And maybe even the fact that she's so like neurotic and her anal retentiveness and like need for control is part of that. But yeah. I think also the fact that Rachel's her best friend, Ross is her brother, that's the leading like love storyline that guides the show. Like she is kind of that central piece that's grounding all of them I mean even to the fact that it's like it's her apartment it's not hers Mm -hmm. and Rachel's it's hers right um where the the, like that's where they live I think you're right because also she's the one who's friends with Phoebe like we never find out how they become friends but she and Phoebe are friends that's how Phoebe enters the group everyone's friends with Joey because well I guess they knew Chandler like Ross knew Chandler but Chandler lives across the hall from Monica and Joey moves in with him and like they're across the hall from Monica and that's why they all hang out. So she really is like, what if the show was like all about Monica? Like, what if that was the name of it? <laughs> all right. I have just two more fun facts about the theme song. And then I will let you jump right into the episode where we should. <laughs> it's a really long extended thing about the theme song. Um, I Do you have any idea where the fountain in the opening credits is? I just, I did not, I don't know. I just assumed it was in New York. Yeah. So fun fact, 
also I thought that. And there are actually tours that will take you to some fountain in New York and be like, this is the Friends Fountain. Um, I'm pretty sure I've been to that fountain as well. Turns out it was actually shot on a Warner, Warner Brothers lot in LA and not on it. It was on a soundstage. And when I read that, I looked really closely at it and the ground looks like they poured sand, like fake sand on the ground. And if you look at the buildings, it lo- it's like too picture perfect. They definitely look like fronts of buildings. Um, and I was like last week years old when I found out that it was not in New York <laughs> after 25 wow. years. I, had no I, guess, idea. I guess that makes sense because as a pilot, you wouldn't fly to New York <laughs> To film in a park. Film at the intro. So, well done. I, I know. I was, I was fooled. So, if you ever go to New York and someone wants to give you the friends tour, don't go because you're going to go to that stupid fountain and it's not that fountain. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Can I tell you at 1:39, the timestamp 1:39. They're just talking about like their dating life and having like weird little interactions. But there is the first instance a minute in at some weird editing pieces where you like it cuts at 139. You can see Phoebe's mouth moving where she's talking and then it cuts to a different scene, like a different shot of her and her mouth is moving, but there's no dialogue coming out of her mouth. Whoa. Really odd. I did not notice that. I don't know. It was very obvious to me, but I was also <laughs> looking for just things in depth. Um, and then Monica is talking about her date with Paul the wine guy and saying it's not a date, it's just two people going out to dinner and not having sex. And Chandler for the that says he responds with sounds like a date to me um, which I loved because it was kind of the first very early glimpse into Chandler's failed dating life (laughs) I like it sets it up immediately like this guy doesn't know how to deal with the ladies okay at in the next scene at two minutes 12 seconds um, Phoebe is folding a cootie catcher And the reason why I love this is because it switches to the, oh, it switches to the next scene at 2.25. And then Phoebe's like weirdly playing with a larger napkin in her lap, but she's folding it. And I feel like she's also folding that into a very large cootie catcher. Oh, she knows she's folding cootie catchers. (laughs) I just I I kind of loved that that it like from scene to scene she was folding actually folding a tiny one and then she was doing like a larger one so that's amazing that's very like um Alec Baldwin in 30 Rock where he's like I don't know what to do with my hands is this right like the two mugs and the two hands one of my favorite scenes of any sitcom yeah um speaking of Phoebe's hands um ring like she is wearing like seven rings Uh, And Monica is wearing a ring on her ring finger. And not just a ring. It appears to be a diamond. Oh, I did not see that. But I did. I did definitely notice it. I noticed it later when she's on the date with Paul, the wine guy. I was like, 
what is going on? She's talking to this guy on her date with, and she's like talking with her hands, one of which is a sparkly diamond on her left ring finger. Was Courtney Cox married during the filming of this? No, because remember when, well, unless she had a, unless she was married before David Arquette, but remember when she gets married, they change Mm -hmm. the opening credits to everyone has Mm -hmm. Arquette. I do gonna have to figure that one out because why else should, would she be wearing a ring on her ring thing like wedding ring finger? right and like there are many shows where characters are not married and the actor is and they're not wearing a ring so like that's a bold choice for the pilot yep girl to go yep. on first date with paul the wine guy <laughs> <laughs> i also noticed that um like Eight seconds in, Joey and Chandler are already insulting Monica, like immediately. They're like, oh, you're going out with him. What's wrong with him? Does he have a hump? Like, what's wrong with him? That's true. That's mean. Eight seconds into the first episode, like, that's the first thing they talk about. Like, come on, you're going out with him. There's got to be something wrong with him. So clearly establishing that Monica also has a terrible track record dating. Which sets the two of them up for later. Not to spoil anything, but yeah, that's um, we're just disclaimer. We're gonna be all about the spoilers. So spoiler alert. Also, deal with it. Twenty-five-year-old show. Sorry, you should have seen it by now. <laughs> True. This is a rewatch podcast, not a watch podcast. I'm gonna have to get on board. Um, so then in the next scene at 2.25, again, I don't know if my time stamping is right because I watched it on HBO Max and Sarah, you mentioned before when we were talking that when you watch it on certain platforms, the timestamp includes, sometimes does not or does include the whole opening sequence. Yeah. Like the theme song. Yeah, so mine all include the theme song, so our times are going to be way off. I'll fix that going forward, but okay. we'll just monkey through it. That's it'll a, be fine. Yeah, that's fine. So when Ross appears and we inter- we introduce him, he immediately comes in upset about his wife, Carol, is leaving him um, and is now a lesbian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Joey offers to solve Ross's problem with a strip joint. Ross just says, I want to be married again, which is a perfect entrance for Rachel coming in at three minutes, 57 seconds in a full wedding dress um, where she's also soaking wet because it's raining outside. And when Ross sees her, his umbrella immediately opens in the most like cliche innuendo. Yes. (laughs) But I also really enjoyed it. And right before that, this is going to be awkward because our times are off, but at what I have at 2.03 is our very, like, even before that innuendo is our very first penis reference of the entire series. When Chandler talks about his dream and he says he has a phone for a penis, we are off and running. We're like 30 seconds in penis, and now we're like a minute something in, two minutes in umbrella innuendo. (laughs) It's going great. (laughs) We do love the penis jokes. Yes. <laughs> Keep them coming, friends. When, so you said Ross comes in. 
I take some big issue with Monica calling her older brother sweetie. Yeah. Like, so are you okay, sweetie, or something? They have, <laughs> starting in this episode, they have some weird brother sister interactions that are a little questionable. Um, jumping ahead to when, like the end of the episode, when they're sitting on the couch yeah. and cuddling. Uh-huh. Like, I have some issues with that too. <laughs> that's real. Uh, that I no, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. That's boyfriend girlfriendy. Yeah. So I like. I had read that Kaufman interviewed her babysitters in order to write this dialogue, and I have a question about who she was interviewing and what those sibling relationships were like because. <laughs> I'm worried about those people. <laughs> like they might need to be in some severe therapy. This is, this is what was going on. And as a therapist, you can say that. It's my professional opinion yep. <laughs> that it is cringy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's definitely some weird red flags with Monica and Ross that continue through the series, but I think is very apparent like more apparent in the earlier episodes. Yeah. And what's funny is like later on, there's an episode where Rachel is dating some guy who has a sister and a creepy relationship. And she's going to Monica and Ross being like, did you guys do this? And they're like, ew, no, that's creepy. Like you're doing it right now. (laughs) (laughs) It is creepy. So I think I'm behind you, but at my 240, which is probably earlier for you, when Ross comes in, Chandler, he's like, oh, my wife left me. Uh. And Chandler goes, cookie? And, like, offers him a cookie. I don't know if you noticed, there are three cookies stacked on that plate on top of each other. And they're, like, decently sized cookies, like, big. And Chandler I did not notice this. He's currently chewing when he says cookie. And so I was like, at first I was like, okay, you bought the cookies to, like, share with all the friends. The gang's going to have some cookies. When Ross denies him, he takes the plate and puts it, because he's off in the chair, he's not on the couch. He puts it in the side table that's far away from the gang that no one could reach next to him. And I'm like, so did Chandler buy four cookies? I mean, I assume by his chewing, he's eaten a cookie. And there are still three on the plate. So, like, this feels like a really, like, like brain-boggling bakery math problem. Like, why is Chandler having four cookies? Did he steal someone else's cookies? It's a good question. <laughs> Do the cookies ever come back in that scene? No, I don't think so. And he doesn't offer anyone else a cookie. And I don't know that he continues eating them either. But I'm like, three cookies seems incredibly, like, it seems like too many cookies. I agree. Oh, I do want to point out that when... When Rachel comes in and Monica, and she, she sees Monica, mm-hmm. she, Monica then turns and, and introduces Rachel to everyone saying, this is another Lincoln High survivor. So we know that Monica, Rachel, and Ross all went to Lincoln High School together. But one big thing that is um, a huge incongruity in the show is that when we get to later flashback episodes, we find out that Rachel already knows Chandler in at least three different episodes. Mm-hmm. So when Monica introduces Rachel to the group, 
Chandler and Monica don't seem to register or recognize that they have met each other before at all. Right. Which is very strange. And I did, again, a venti dive on this, on how old they would have been the last time they saw each other. So in mid-season seven, they all turned 30. So in this episode, they have to be 22, 23. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're early 20s. Yeah, I think Phoebe's a little bit older. Like, she's like a year older than everyone. Yeah. And Ross, like, it's unclear how much older he is than Monica. It's like maybe a year, maybe like yeah. three. We don't, I don't know. But the majority of them have to be 22, 23 if they all turn 30 season seven. So that means there was, a, in, <laughs> again, more math. I hate math, but like friends math I can do. So in a future episode... <laughs> I'm so sorry. In a future Thanksgiving episode, there's a flashback that is the first year. So the first year of the flashback on Thanksgiving is when Monica and Rachel are in high school and Chandler. And they're going to their prom. And they're going to their. Oh, wait. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just doing the Thanksgiving one. Oh, okay. Yes. But I was just thinking the Thanksgiving, the first one, Monica and Rachel are in high school and Monica's still fat. And Ross and Chandler come home and they're in college. The second Thanksgiving flashback, Monica is now thin. Yes, yes, it's great. Monica's thin and healthy. Um, And they're in college. Her and Rachel are in college. And I don't know if that's their first like semester of college. So like, say that's their first year of college. So they're 19, 18, 19. That's only a couple of years later. They're 22 in this episode. And um, Rachel says when she shows up, that um, she knew where Monica's building was. So unless Monica moved there while she was in college, which I don't think because she's from Long Island, right? Or they're from not Manhattan. Yeah. I don't know where she went to college. Okay. But anyway, at maximum, it would have been three years since they'd seen each other. Max. So like three years and you don't remember meeting Chandler three three times? No. Um, no, that, that was a huge plot hole for sure. Not, yeah, that's, that's just a, a misstep. We'll let it go. We'll let it go. Um, so then Rachel proceeds to talk about why she left Barry and, um, there's this whole give and take with Ross and her getting her coffee and having him like prepare her coffee. I just have to point out Rachel takes sweet and low in her coffee. Gross. Yuck. <laughs> really yuck. It is really sweet. Ross totally like prepares it for her and hands it to her. So sweet. But the fact, like, I'm sorry, sweet and low, like how early nineties can you get? I love that you thought that was sweet. I was watching him and I was like, God, this guy is so pathetically in love with her. It is like sad. <laughs> Because she, like, gets the sweet and loaf from the waitress and immediately hands it to him. And he just, like, shakes it and pours it in. And then I, that's, she, what, that's what I thought was so great. He just does it. And, does yes, it. 
but yes, it's pathetic. It's completely <laughs> pathetic. But the fact that it's so natural for him, he just, he's like, yes, I got you. I like, this is happening. Yeah. And, she, and, and the fact that she is paying no mind to him <laughs> because she's clearly just spiraling. Right. Like that is such comedic genius, that back and forth. I just have to give it to those actors for playing it so naturally. Totally. Um, I, re- I like loved that, that, um, dynamic between them and that chemistry the chemistry is right there like immediate that's true and the fact that they could all keep a straight face while he's stirring <laughs> when he starts oh stirring the coffee I, like it's already a Ross <laughs> episode I'm like Jesus he is so good with the physical comedy oh yeah really amazing yeah can are we ready to transition to Monica's apartment this is the mm-hmm. first introduction yes okay I made a note and I think you followed up on the note. Um, so very, the, the biggest thing about Monica's apartment, knowing that they are 22 years old living in New York, how the f- do they afford this apartment in like New York city? It's clearly Manhattan. Yeah. In Manhattan, it's, two bedrooms it's a two bedroom very luxurious apartment like huge out like huge living space like living room kitchen and she's living there by herself seemingly yes she just has an empty bedroom I will say that later on we find out that Monica's grandmother somehow bequeathed this apartment to her but I think they're also she's still paying rent it's rent controlled that's how they explain it so her aunt right her aunt or her grandma dies Mm -hmm. and they don't tell anyone she died and like Monica just like moves in and so that's why they're constantly trying to hide from Trigger the building manager oh he's great I can't wait until we get into episodes with him the dancing episode oh my god I was just gonna say that Uh, one of my favorites so okay but we'll get there um so I I noticed that you that you uh you did some investigating Mm -hmm. on how much this apartment might cost can you can you share so they were saying that she was paying two hundred dollars a month I think I don't know where that, that came from. Crazy. I don't even I don't even think that that would be acceptable in 1994. No. That had There's How old was that aunt? Does she live there in like 1925? Like when did she move <laughs> into that apartment? Was she like 200 years old? <laughs> this is not feasible at all. This is not a thing. I, I don't know. I mean so I think the link that I sent you was from 2017. The estimate for that apartment would have been four grand a month. Yes. Yeah. A little over four grand. And we roughly estimated like 1,100 square feet, right? Like, which that's a big apartment for New York. It is. How did they afford that? Like, Chan- well, Chandler's not even in the picture, but she's a sh- she's like a chef in a restaurant that no she can't afford that Rachel works downstairs <laughs> serving coffee yeah 
well, and money. she's not even, she's not even a part of the picture well, when, right, yeah. like, now when we're there. So, I mean, if she was paying 200 a month, that makes sense. I just don't see how that, it could be that rent control. I get rent yeah. control is a thing, but like, it seems like an easy explanation for um, an unrealistic situation. Okay. So we go into Monica's apartment in the next scene. Um, and they're all sitting around watching a Spanish soap opera in the side table in between the chair and the couch. <laughs> there's a cup, there's like three really old looking photos on the side table that look kind of like Princess Diana in like weird sepia. Like it's gotta be like her grandmother's photos or something super old. But they're like one of them looks a little bit like an old shot of Princess Di. And I'm just like, what, where did these pictures come from? Who are, are they, are they her relatives? Like what? It just seems so out of place. Like they're, yeah. they're very eclectic, but those pictures are just weird. Um, and then also there's, <laughs> there's more weird art with like this strange glossy yellow statue next to the old photos. I don't even know what it is. It looks like some like funky swir like swirly-ish, I, I don't know, like amateur sculpture. <laughs> Maybe Phoebe made it. Maybe, it's just, I, I wrote down weird art. So, um, we're gonna have to track those and see if they move. If, like, in the next episode after the pilot, yes, oh my gosh, uh, it will do. I will make, I will see if they stick around for sure. The only thing that I noticed in the back, not even in the background, but on the coffee table, when we first see everybody sitting there and they're watching the soap opera, on the coffee table, there are cans of a soda that is called Mellow Yellow. Did you see? Oh my gosh. Yes, I totally did a deep dive on Mellow Yellow. Okay, tell me, because I saw it in court, my fiancé Court was watching it with me, and he's never seen, he doesn't know Friends at all. Jumping Jehoshaphat guy. Um, and he said that he used to drink that soda as a kid, that it's like a real thing. And I didn't, I thought, is it like a Mountain Dew thing? What is it? Okay, so if... <laughs> My notes say, what are they all drinking? Cans of Meto Yellow? <laughs> because if you look closely, it's not Mellow Yellow. It is clearly two T's. Oh no, it's a knockoff? <laughs> so I looked up on wiki lists and it is Met Meto Yellow is a list of fictional brands um, listed and as referenced on various sitcoms, quote unquote. Oh my God. And it, it included like a bunch of well-known, well-known sitcoms from the 90s. So I, I'm guessing if you go into like Wings, um, Caroline in the City, like those types of, of shows, they might feature Meto Yellow. However. Are they all James Burrow shows? Is he like a Meto Yellow? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I did do a deep dive on Mellow Yellow. And it is in fact a true 
soda that was a highly caffeinated citrus flavored soft drink um, produced and distributed by Coca-Cola. And it was introduced in 1979 to compete with Pepsi's Mountain Dew. Oh. Yes. So it was um, later taken, like it was removed and, and rescinded, but it was replaced um, by a similar uncaffeinated beverage called Lyft, which I don't remember and I didn't do any more further, further research on it. But fun, fun fact with Mellow Yellow, it was also featured in the 1990 NASCAR movie, Days of Thunder, which oh. if you remember, starred Tom Cruise. And this was the sponsor of his car that won the Daytona 500. Mellow <laughs> so Yellow. it's just Mellow Yellow. So it was just splattered Everywhere. with Mellow Yellow. <laughs> wow. That's why it was big enough to like do a fake one on a new sitcom. Yeah. So that, that, that movie came out four years before. And so I think just it, it, it came from there before it was, you know, taken off the market. So that's Meadow Yellow. <laughs> wow. I didn't even see that it said Meadow Yellow. And I never even liked Mountain Dew enough to even want a knockoff of it. So this is all very impressive. <laughs> I have a comment about, so they're watching on my time code at 613, which is probably a little earlier on your like five something for you. Um, Mm -hmm. They're watching the Spanish soap opera and Chandler goes, ooh, she should not be wearing those pants. And it's this actress in the Spanish soap opera and she's wearing like what looked to be 80s, like, like skinny jeans, but 80s. So very high waist, like mom jeans. Yeah, kind of mom jeans. Jeans. yeah, yeah, but real acid wash. They're very hip now. I, yes. was, I don't think they'd be mom jeans now. Right. So my my grievance with this is: has he even seen what Monica is wearing? Because I don't know if you've taken a deep dive into Monica's outfit because it is it's not just rough; it is like. 90s rough like it would have still been rough in the 90s it is like her suspenders are an entire mood by themselves like it's aggressive and the suspenders <laughs> so the suspenders seem to be attached to her pants in some sort of like overalls pants combination and in the back when she gets up to walk off away from the living room it looks like she's wearing like a taupe diaper that goes from the bottom of her bra line all the way down to her shoes. And then over the top of it, she's wearing a pale denim yellow jacket. Like pale yellow denim jacket. But I will say that denim jacket's probably very in style again right now. But those, I mean, when he's commenting on his pants, she's sitting right next to him. And he's like, have you even looked over here at what is happening over here? It's He's so insensitive. He's so insensitive. Come on, Chandler, get it together. <laughs> you can't make comments about that, like about women like that and expect to get better than you have. I know, that's true. He's not so great with the politics. Yeah. Um, I just, I, yeah, just, I have to shine a spotlight on just all their, the whole wardrobe 
I'd, I'd like to research a little more about um, the wardrobe department because I feel like, and this, this is no judgment at all, <laughs> even though it sounds like it, I feel like they were trying to like push the envelope with like how hip they were in the moment, but it just doesn't translate. Like it's, it's, it's real bad. It's bad. Sometimes it's okay. And sometimes, ooh, kind of fun. But other times it's like, whoa, swing and a miss. Well, and I think in this episode, they are like very clearly trying to establish each, each person in their wardrobe. And like, honestly, the person that looks the best is Rachel in the wedding dress. Like everybody else's outfit. <laughs> and like, what is going on? Ross is wearing like three piece, like a three piece layers of dump. It is just like baggy. <laughs> It is so oversized. And it's three, like who's wearing a three-piece non-suit? Like you don't need three pieces. It's okay. And then like Phoebe actually, hers is, if you took off that denim jacket that is clearly like 10 sizes too big for her, Mm -hmm. very 90s, would be fine. But I will say her hair, I have never seen pigtails that big in my entire life. There has to be fake hair in there. That there's no way that's her real hair. It's comical. They're so big. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then like Joey, I feel like everyone on this show looks 35. And Joey, they've put in this like cutoff, like that black denim vest, I guess. And he's like, looks like a motorcycle gang member, maybe. Well, and later he's wearing like a tight black <laughs> tee with a big belt buckle and like that like acid wash denim jeans yeah he's definitely going for the motorcycle vibe which they abandoned he's a Porsche guy we all know this (laughs) (laughs) I also have a question about does anyone need to go to work like what time of day is it (laughs) what day is it and what time of day is it right now because um I think this is something we need to start tracking especially since they clearly have established themselves as working professionals in some capacity, even if they are super shitty jobs. <laughs> they clearly make a point to say, oh yeah, we all yeah. work. Just when does that working happen? My thought was most weddings happen on a Saturday. Okay, great. So like Chandler's not working Saturday. True. We don't know what Phoebe does yet. They've not said. Who knows? She probably doesn't work. We don't know. We find out that Joey's an actor. So weird hours. Uh, Monica's a chef. Also weird hours. Maybe should be working on a Saturday. Probably. Yeah. No, definitely. If she's a good chef, she'd be working on a Saturday in some way. Ross, if he's at the museum, like maybe Monday through Friday. Although I think museums get a lot of people. I mean, maybe his job is Monday through Friday. Also, we don't know he's at the museum yet. No, but we can, you know what? Let's give him some flexibility. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but I was just looking at it being like, so we're just all watching a Spanish soap opera and none of us speak Spanish and like, this is what we're doing with our whole day. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> uh, okay. So can I, can I just point out some background things in Monica's Please. kitchen? Okay. So we see just a couple of random things that you, that you can clearly see. 
Um, she's got bell peppers hanging in a basket. Um, she's got vitamin C on the shelf, which all of her, all of her shelves are very open, very exposed, um, very cluttered, which I feel like is very anti-Monica, honestly. Like, why don't you have covered clo- closures? I always thought that that kitchen was like too eclectic. Like the whole apartment feels like too many patterns, too, many, too much eclectic to be that OCD. But maybe her OCD really just is honed on cleanliness and not that other stuff. What you said also about how many colors. So I counted. <gasps> oh my gosh. I, I went around and counted the colors of their apartment. So they have baby blue cupboards in the kitchen. Then there is, if you go clockwise from the cupboards in the kitchen and go from wall to wall to wall, it is purple wall, pink wall, green wall. And then I stopped because I gave myself a headache. (laughs) I was just like, who in their right mind would paint their apartment like this? And I know that it's different, like it goes back to purple and, but, and, and then like the next, the other rooms are totally different colors. So I will like in the same room, there's like four different accent colors. Like you can't do that. Oh my God. I love that. We are like so focused on such very different things. (laughs) And now all I'm going to notice is like the colors. That's so good. And what is going on? How could you live in that room? I know. No, it's living in a fucking rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, which, whatever. I, it's fine. Just, just take, take, a, take a turn about the room next time you, uh, you watch an episode. So Rachel's giving this speech to her dad in the kitchen. And she's like, well, maybe I'll just stay here with Monica. And Monica's like, I guess we've decided she's staying here with Monica. Yeah. Hang on. So Monica's like very much OCD, like very intensely OCD to the point we learn later if Phoebe moves out, she can't take it. No one wants to live with Monica, including Chandler. <laughs> and he loves her. <laughs> um, so like, okay, I've lived with people. Like I've, we've lived together actually. I've mm-hmm. lived with friends. It's hard. And you have lots of discussions ahead of time like lease agreements and like maybe a conversation about like, let's do this thing. And like Monica's so OCD. They haven't seen each other supposedly in a long time, but we've kind of established that maybe it was like three years maximum. Um, so like it just happens. Like she just lives there. What's believable to me is how close they were in high school. That's true. Like I know that like, if and I know you and I went through some like kind of rocky stuff in college, you know, with over IM <laughs> or whatever. But like, if you showed up at my doorstep four years after high school and was like, I just left my, I walked out on my marriage. I have no place to go. My parents have basically disowned me. I need to cut ties. I have no place to go. I guess I'll stay with you. Even if you were the most anal retentive person in the world, I feel like you would have been like, yeah, I've got your back. Yeah. And I, that's, that's where I feel Monica is with Rachel. Like it, 
I don't think the OCD plays into it. She's like a good friend. Yeah. And she actually sees like, okay, we were close and you're, you're hurting. I don't know how long this is going to be, but I got you, you know? And I think that if that was you and I, that's, that's how it would be. That's true. I didn't even look at it through that lens. That's why I love you so much. It's very true. <laughs> I'm just like looking at you with googly eyes being like, oh, Aww. you're the best. You're, you're the so right. Best. <laughs> I think that's a lovely point. And um, I think that Rachel was, I mean, Monica didn't have, we learned later, like she really didn't have any friends. Like, and Rachel was so popular and so mm-hmm. like a big deal and still hung by Monica and like supported her always and like didn't abandon her even though she was like a popular cheerleader. So I can see how that bond would just like go right back immediately yeah. and how you would just be there for like like the theme song says, like, I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you. I knew you were going to go there before you even went there. That's why we're BFFs. <laughs> that was so good. Oh, man. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. So when Rachel hangs up with her father, mm-hmm. who now has kind of basically disowned her and cut her off, mm-hmm. saying that she's going to stay with Monica... Um, she starts hyperventilating and Monica brings over a paper bag and she starts like breathing into it. I love that this is our first glimpse into Phoebe's like musical talent when she starts, starts singing raindrops on roses, but like with the completely wrong lyrics. It just, it's so good. <laughs> so good. Um, Joey then proceeds to hit on Rachel, asking, saying, like, if she needs anything at all, he and Chandler live right across the hall. And then he mentions that Chandler is away a lot. So what does this mean? Does it mean for his job? Is this some kind of, like, insight into what he does for work? What does he do? If it's not, where does he go? Like, we've already established he has a really shitty dating or social life. So, like, what I I was very confused by this. Like, he's away a lot. Yeah. I think, okay, so this is probably a bias because I know the character so much. I feel like he's away a lot because Joey can send him away and he'll go. You know, like, okay, yeah, like he'll just Joey will be like, I need the room, and he'll be, you know, he'll go. Like, when I was thinking, he'll probably just go to Monica's apartment. Well, yeah, (laughs) and I was also thinking, like, that's the only people he socializes with. So, Joey can be like, You got to go over there, dude. Like, I got a date. We never see the boy's apartment in this episode either. That's true. We're not introduced yet. Yeah. So, I think it was probably a throwaway line that was just like Joey saying, it was probably Joey saying whatever, but like, they hadn't established what Chandler did yet. And so mm-hmm. probably a throwaway, but also if you look at the canon of Joey, it's just like, he'll say anything to get a girl home with him. Um, okay, so on my time code at 827, Monica's talking about how Paul the wine guy has finally asked her out. Ross has his arm around her and kisses her on the head because she's finally been asked out by this guy she wanted to be asked out. Uh gross <laughs> I don't like it okay so 
I asked Court. Court has a younger sister. I was like, so have you ever, because he watched this with me. He's like, mm-hmm. have you ever kissed your sister? Like, and he, he just like cringed at me. <laughs> it wasn't even like, has does Tyler kiss Carrie like that? No. No. There is not that kind of um, closeness. And they're really close. They're very close. Yeah. No, it's it's too weird. I mean, you and I have sisters, so we're like, is this how it is? It appears to not be how it is. <laughs> no. Well, and also, like, he just, he he's kind of a weird champion of like wanting to have like her to have sex with him with with Paul yeah like he's he's too he's too encouraging as an older brother yeah right um I did want to say really quick I missed this earlier but the girl who is serving coffee in the in in the coffee shop in the first scene I didn't say um, it's Cynthia Mann who plays the waitress and she is actually known for her work in Quantum Leap. Um, I loved that show as a kid. I watched it with my dad. I never saw it. I saw a little bit in college and I, I had never seen it before. But she actually comes back in a later episode of Friends as Phoebe's coworker at the corporate spa that Phoebe doesn't want Rachel to know she works at. Um, and her, she plays Jasmine and she plays Jasmine four times throughout the season but she can also credit this episode. So she actually has five episodes in her resume, but she's not like, she doesn't have a name in this one. She's just serving coffee, but she comes back later. Um, I, I thought of that because Paul the wine guy is about to show up. Uh, can I just tell you how much I just hate Paul the wine guy? Like if you could see my face right now. I have no tolerance for this type of dude. He is wearing what appears to be like a slightly more tailored zoot suit. (laughs) (laughs) It is big and it's like purple-ish, maybe. Yeah. Um, So John Allen Nelson plays Paul the Wine Guy. He was on a soap opera called Santa Barbara from 1984 to 1986. He was the lead in the 1987 film called Hunk. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> he was in a few early seasons of none other than Baywatch. And apparently his best known role is Walt Cummings in 24. Interesting. Okay. I have seen none of those four items, but I guess he is a well-known actor now. But Paul the wine guy. <laughs> so when he enters... And he's greeted at the reception line of friends. Can I just tell you how uncomfortable I would be coming to on a first date and having a reception line of my date's friends saying, hi, 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 Paul, is it? (laughs) Her saying, just one second. And he immediately goes to the couch and they all sit around him. And he just like sits there. Yeah, okay, and I, I just want to take this opportunity to point out another weird Ross thing, like brother-sister thing. As he walks to the couch, Ross turns to Monica and puts his hand above his head and says, mouths tall, 
yes, and gives her a thumb up, thumbs up. And I'm just like, dude, you want your sister to have sex with him? Not cool, man. <laughs> like, I, we don't need that. <laughs> it should have been Joey doing that. Yeah, would have been awesome. exactly, exactly. Yeah, not weird, Ross. <laughs> When Paul locks in, we are able to see the apartment number on Monica's door. True. Oh, yes. This is this is an interesting factoid. Yes. It's number five. And later, I think, I don't know if it's right after this episode, but they changed the number to 20 because the producers realized that due to the view outside the window, she could not have <laughs> lived on the floor with apartment five. So they had to... Re- they live... They live way higher up. Wait. I think at some point, I could be remembering this wrong. I think they say they're on the fifth floor at some point. I could be wrong. But um, so they change it from five to 20, but in this one, it says five. And Joey and Chandler, it must have not been the next episode because I guess we know that they're in apartment four and they change from four to 19. So um, I do want to say, though, at... Less than a minute later, when Ross is inviting Rachel to hang out with them and hang out with him and like put together furniture so she's not alone and like being like, hey, it's okay, come hang out with us. And she opts to stay at Monica's instead. So then he turns in and like invites Phoebe. This moment is like why I love Phoebe so much (laughs) is that she just turns to him and just says, Oh, I would, but I don't want to. (laughs) And I mean, like, that blatant, like, in-your-face honesty, like, you can't fault someone for that. It's just like, oh, okay. (laughs) Like, that's why I love her. Yeah. It's it's just like, there's, you know you're getting no bullshit. Mm -hmm. It's just like, she's genuine and, like, completely authentic and, like, even though she's such a ditz, it's just like, all right, well, okay, I can move on. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thanks for letting me know, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I so I so want to be her. It just, I don't think I have the the full balls. I think I have, I have too many control issues and neuroses to be Phoebe. <laughs> yeah. But, yes, we should all try to be a little bit more like yes. Phoebe. Yes. But I do think this is the perfect example of like a pattern that we see throughout the series of her honesty Mm -hmm. and just like, this is who I am and you got to deal with it. And they just do like, they just accept that. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. She is, I think, I think I said this before, but she is underrated I think she's written off very easily like people are just like oh that like annoying hippie and she just has a lot more to her yeah agreed (laughs) at about 10 minutes eight seconds um we see Joey Ross and Chandler in Ross's apartment they're putting in putting together furniture for Ross um Ross's ex-wife has clearly moved out and I just want to say quickly (laughs) Two things. First of all, his apartment clearly is an apartment that has been left to the bare bones. (laughs) Like she left him nothing. There is a lamp on the floor. 
there is a dying plant on the bar. He cl- he se- he seems to only have like empty boxes and a coffee pot and maybe a paper towel holder, and that's about it. Even so, I have to point out. Even there's the detail of like an old Kleenex wadded up next to the 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 lamp on the floor, and I was just like so grossed Oops. out at that, and so saddened by his life right now. Like it just was, it just seemed like insult to injury that he just clearly had been crying over this whole situation where he was left with nothing, and he didn't even have a trash can to put the Kleenex. In. Oh God. oh god oh yeah so big problem with that another th- the second thing i want to point out is his stance while he's putting together furniture <laughs> his deep squat it, okay the deep squat so <laughs> i have something to say about this deep squat this deep squat is like a matter of contention between tyler and i <laughs> oh do tell So when I get in Ross's position, it is a position that I can maintain comfortably and it feels good. And I can like move around. I can like frog walk. Like it's a comforting position for me. However, when I challenge Tyler to get in the same position, like it's somewhere where he gets locked into and cannot come out of. Like it is, it doesn't work for his body type. Yeah. What I noticed was that I feel like Tyler as a tall, skinny, lanky dude, not skinny, like he's like Ross. He's, he's like built muscular, but like still lanky and long. Mm -hmm. I feel like they have similar body types. How come Ross feels so comfortable in that position and Tyler is unable to either get in that position or also get out of that position? It, w- it was such a familiar scene to me that I was just like, oh my God, Tyler, look at, look at Ross, look at Ross, look at Ross. I will say, I mean, in Tyler's defense, Ross does say, I cannot feel my legs. True. However, he did choose to get in that position. So it, yes, it he did. initially must have been comfortable. True. Um, but I just, that is such a like striking pose. I just, <laughs> I loved it. It, it, it. It hit me home. It's such a Ross thing too. Like no uh-huh. one else is doing that. Like that's just why Ross's stuff is so good because it's like, what is happening? You are throwing a fit about your fucking Thanksgiving sandwich. That is the straw that breaks your back. <laughs> like, okay, you've chosen to get in this strange position to build furniture. What are you doing? Like, that's why he's so, it's so funny because he's so odd. Yep. And he's so extreme. He goes to that point where none of the other guys go to. Yeah. It's, it's just brilliant. Um, so when we get to Ross's ha- apartment, I have it 10.06, off time code. Chandler's wearing a baseball hat. That really threw me for a big loop because it seems very out of character for him. I know we're just meeting him, but like, I, I was having a hard time looking at it. It's also not like a fashionable baseball hat. I mean, nothing that's happening in this episode is fashionable. I know, but it's not like it's not like a sports team that mm-hmm. he is 
attributing it to. It's just like a hat. It's like something he probably got at work at like some stupid conference he went to. Yeah. No, it's a conference hat for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and do you notice that when you skip down down the scenes a little bit, all of the sudden he's wearing it backwards? Like when does that happen? You know what I noticed about that is I think I think in that scene where his hat is backwards, because I did notice that they have a bunch of beers in front of them and Ross is just like droning on and him and Joey are just like, uh-huh. I think he's just like, it's supposed to be him drunk. Like the hat's backwards because he's like drunk. Because it's clearly been been a few. Yeah. Okay. That that tracks. I, I, I accept that. And at 1041 on my time, they say Ross comes back from the fridge and he's like, this is Carol's favorite beer. And like Joey says something about how she drank beer out of a can. Like, how did you not know she was a lesbian? And I was like, I mean, I'm drinking beer right now out of a can. Like, judgy, judgy, make judges. I know we've come, we've come a long way since the nineties, but there are a lot of lines in this episode that would, uh-huh. would not fly now. And like, just the fact that someone's a lesbian, it is seemingly funny. And like, it's a it's a lot of stereotyping going on so this is this is one of the points where we transition back and forth between monica's apartment and and ross's apartment back and forth very quickly and we clearly see that rachel is spiraling Mm -hmm. (laughs) she's on the phone with barry leaving voicemail after voicemail about how it's her fault and she's so sorry and oh my god stop talking rachel it's so, so painful. Also, the antenna on that portable phone goes all the way to space. It is so long. <laughs> okay, so she's leaving a voicemail for Barry, her guy she left at the altar. Only in the pilot is he named Barry Finkel. Every episode after that, his name is Barry Farber, and I could not find any explanation or any reason for it, but his name changes. Who knows why? Oh, go back to the spoon. The spoon. Okay. I know you've got a lot to say about grabbing a spoon. I know this dialogue from the season one soundtrack because this entire, it's cut together in order. So like we have to see it in multiple scenes in the show, but on the season one soundtrack, which by the way, last winter I found at a thrift store and bought again, this speech is so good and I did not in any way understand what they meant about grabbing a spoon when I listened to it in like as 11 an 11 year old but I just it is like such holds such a huge place in my heart because I've heard it so many times and I'd never seen the show before and so I just like I paid so much close attention to listening to them give that speech and it's not that important but I just love it so much and then at 12 minutes my time Chandler's hat turns around, which like really pulled me out of yeah. the whole thing. But um, when they're talking about grabbing the grabbing a spoon speech, Joey says, um, there's so many kinds of ice cream. Like you can get, you know, bing cherry vanilla, or you can get it with Jimmy's. Do you know what Jimmy's What's are? What's a Jimmy? Okay, so I looked it up. Jimmy's are what Northeastern US folk call sprinkles. I, I've never heard of them called that in California. No. 
No, I, I was, I almost was like nervous to look it up because it felt like a word that was going to be like offensive in some way. I don't know why, but I was like, what's a Jimmy? Can I tell you, I thought it was a condom. (laughs) You don't put condoms on. What is happening? I mean, Joey might, I, who knows, but um, yeah. So sprinkles, if you're on the East coast, we call them sprinkles on the West coast they're called jimmies (laughs) and i was like this is the first time i've bothered to look that up and i've listened to this goddamn speech like hundreds of times on that soundtrack and including the jimmy's part so well so i can see why you would think that that it was dirty because then he launches after he's like you could get him with this or jimmy's or whipped cream (laughs) like he's obviously going to a dirty place so i just i just immediately went there yeah I mean, context is there for sure. Anyway, we can go to the restaurant. (laughs) I just have one thing to say about the restaurant scene. um, Because I hate Paul so much. (laughs) And this is such a weird, stupid thing. But as the dominatrix, I feel like I have to say it. They are at a sushi place. They're clearly eating different meals. He's eating noodles. She's eating sushi. I question their compatibility right off the bat. Yeah. They're not sharing sushi. They're not sharing food. As a chef, Monica should have a red flag happening right now. Mm -hmm. That's all I have to say. Wow. Big mic drop. Big mic flip from Ashley. (laughs) Flip it. (laughs) Flipped it up. So, okay. Monica's on this date with Paul the white guy. She's been waiting to go on a date with him forever. They're at the stupid restaurant. She is where <laughs> five minutes into their first date, he's telling her he has not been able to perform sexually for two years. Ugh. Promptly spits her tea at him when he says this. I don't think that that would cause me to spit my tea at someone. Secondly, he then goes on to talk about how it's a fifth date conversation. And she's like, ooh, there's going to be a fifth date. It's five minutes into the first date. If someone talked to me after doing all the online dating I did before I met court, I, if someone brought up a fifth date and we were five minutes in, I'd be like, I think I need to go. Bye. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Coming on a little strong, <laughs> but, but so here's the thing. Monica was clearly into this guy for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Like she was basically waiting for him to ask her out. That's true. So she was obviously smitten, like, and the fact that he was reciprocating those feelings made her kind of go head over heels gaga and like, oh, you do like me and like gross. But I can see why she responded the way she did. It was like, oh, all of the feelings that I've been having that I've been holding in are now being validated. Fair fair I guess I should think back to like when you and I were in high school and was kind of way over people who had like no idea who we were oh should we go back there <laughs> let's not okay well we can we can just like briefly transition to like a segment that I'm we're gonna maybe affectionately call the chicken the duck which is a typing mm-hmm. segment I just wanted to say that I read um that there was a worry that Monica would be considered a slut because she did not care enough about Paul to sleep with him on their first date, 
So they rewrote her lines to show that she really cared about Paul in order to justify her sleeping with him. And I think we've come a long way on slut shaming since then, but like a girl couldn't decide to sleep with a guy on the first date in the nineties without like, if it was Joey, there'd be no question. Like he hits on a girl on her wedding day. No one cares. So I, yeah, I agree. I think that the mid nineties were a very different cultural time um, for, for that. And there was definitely like this double standard. I mean, I still think that there's, there's essentially double standards, but um, I think it was very obvious. And the fact that they had to say that, and they had to rewrite her character to say like, I mean, she later says like, I, I just, I really liked him. Yeah. Like, I, like she's like obviously lamenting about how she's hurt and how she had like these true feelings. She didn't have to like, maybe no. she just wanted to get it on with the guy. Yeah. Like, Which I think later in the show becomes less of an issue, but I just was like, the fact that they rewrote stuff to make her care about him, it just almost felt more unbelievable that maybe I'm looking at through like a now lens instead of the nineties lens, but yeah. 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 Um, okay. So anything else about Paul, the wine guy in the restaurant, your favorite event? Uh, <laughs> no. So then we see Rachel watching happy days. I do want to make a connection to the fact that Rachel in the pilot is watching that watching happy days and the Joni loves Chachi piece later when Phoebe has her triplets the doctor is obvious is obsessed with the fawns and plays happy days while she is giving birth so there is a callback to happy days I forgot about that nice pull yeah thanks can we cut to the morning Mm-hmm. So Rachel wakes up, makes coffee for Joey and Chandler, and she's super excited that she's making coffee, and it ends up being terrible. Right. Right? Yes. Also, okay, so they spit the coffee out into the plant. She's made coffee in, like, the most complicated coffee thing. She's making pour over it, like we were talking. I think we talked yeah. about this off camera. She's making pour over the hardest coffee to, I mean, it's in one of those glass carafes. Like, this is not an easy way to make coffee if you've never made coffee. Okay, give her credit for that. However, Monica comes out of her bedroom with Paul and the wine guy. It is the morning before work, seemingly, because at one point Chandler says, I got to go to work. Monica's had a one night stand at this point. First night stand, whatever we call it. Yes. She comes out, she is fully dressed okay wearing sneakers (laughs) okay and one more thing she has a sweater tied around her waist (laughs) (laughs) okay I didn't even notice the sweater I did note the fact that how do you do the walk of shame in your own apartment that is not okay like you have a whole closet of things that you can put on that is not the outfit before. So what are you doing? Yes. Like she she should not be wearing that dress. No. Even if, 
a robe would be better or like anything else. I was looking at Rachel's outfit and being like, why is Rachel not wearing what Monica's wearing and Monica not wearing what Rachel's wearing? <laughs> Monica yeah. should be in jammies and a robe, walking him out. His me, him being dressed makes sense. He slept over. Her being dressed not only in clothes, but with shoes on and a sweater around her waist. I'm like, yeah. are you so into Paul that you are trying to utilize your wardrobe to its fullest to really impress him? Like, no. what is going on? So Paul leaves the apartment at 1536 on my time. He walks out and he goes to the left. He walks out the door to the left. Oh, yeah. That's just going into more apartments. Yeah, so I read this online and I watched for it and I was like, whoa, because every other episode, the stairs down are to the right and we've seen yep. the stairs. So my only thought was like, maybe there's a uh, fire escape. I don't know where he's going, but he goes maybe to the he's left. going to visit a friend, <laughs> a friend that's not part of friends. At 1728 on my count, uh, there, Monica and her coworker Franny who is played by Clea Lewis. I love her. I didn't know who she was. I don't know who she was, but I think she's great in this role. Like, she, She's best known for playing Audrey on Ellen. Yes, that's where I knew her from. Oh my gosh. Okay, that makes sense. When she says, like, I take credit for Paul, <laughs> I'm just like, you're so good. Yeah, she was like a, very professional, like well-known actress. Apparently she also appeared in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and has voiced many characters on SpongeBob and Ice Age The Meltdown. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. And so, so Monica then internalizes it all and she's like, is it me? Is it this? And then Phoebe, it cuts to Phoebe saying, give me your feet. <laughs> and then you get no explanation. Yeah. She just starts kind of rubbing her feet and then it's then like we move on yeah it's just a phoebe weird thing yeah yeah it's just another another piece can i just say that joey then says again i can't believe you fell for that line or whatever there's a great piece of physical comedy where he's sitting on the edge of the couch and she kind of like nudges him over and he goes flying over and Matt LeBlanc, like, huge kudos. Yeah. Because it's such a good piece of physical comedy. And it's the first physical comedy that we see, really see on the show. Yeah. And he gets, like, back up and he's all, like, like disheveled. And it's just, it's just, like, so heartwarming. It's so, like, this, this comedy definitely does pull from, like, um, like, Three Stooges kind of like when they go physical, it's very yeah. goofy and it's so good. It's always used in like such a deliberate way that makes it so funny. Like Monica, she's like so sad. And then Joey says that and she just like, he yeah. he doesn't just like tip off. He flies like yeah. very far. <laughs> yeah. So at 1847, I have Rachel comes in. And she's like, oh, I had 12 interviews today. I was laughed out of 12 interviews today. She goes, I'm trained for nothing. And we know, I mean, we don't know this now. We know later she went to college. 
we I don't know that we ever find out if she graduated college. I don't think she did. I don't think we know. But I have a question because I've applied for a lot of jobs. To have 12 interviews in one day is a lot. But yes. to land 12 interviews, you have to have some sort of resume that shows some kind of qualification for them to bring you in. So how is it that you get 12 interviews if you have no qualifications whatsoever? So one thing that I actually appreciate about this scene is that when she comes in and she's like, guess what? And she's holding all these shopping bags. Like the immediate audience reaction is that like, you are clearly disgusted by her. <laughs> You're just like, are you serious? Because Ross is like, you got a job? And she's like, yeah, right. I'm trained for nothing. And But she clearly has spent all this money. So it's like, why are you doing this? But the fact that she like acknowledges her deficits and is, is like, she, she, she's not, she's not, um, she admits basically the fact that she sucks <laughs> in this moment. Yeah. Like, and that in itself is so redeeming that you just, you like her. True. You know, yeah. like, you're just like, oh yeah, you recognize the fact that like, you're doing the exact opposite of what you need to do right now, but it's to, it's to cope. Yeah. With all of the shit that's going on in your life right now. That's true. And and that to me is like the beauty of friends is that no matter which friend is the worst in that moment, they always have redeeming qualities. Yeah. So as a result, they then cut to Monica's apartment where the gang is convincing her to cut up her credit cards. Okay. I have some things to say about this. <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> okay. First of all, my first thing. So there are five other 20-somethings in this apartment. I know when I was 20-something, I was not responsible with money. And any credit card I had was maxed out because I didn't understand credit. And that got me into trouble. I do not think if you came to me and were like, oh, I, I'm independent now. I am leaving my parents. I would not put you in my apartment and like yell cut, cut, cut at you until you cut up your credit cards. They'd be like keep that credit card as a lifeline until you get a job. Like you might need that. How else are you going to pay for stuff? Right. Okay. The second thing I want to say is, did you happen to look at the credit card names on those cards? I didn't. Oh my God. Please tell me. They're good. Okay. So there are five cards total. One of them is labeled certified city bank. And it looks like it has the MasterCard logo on it. Um, but it doesn't say MasterCard, but it has the yellow orange little balls and says Certified City Bank. The second card is all blue, also says Certified City Bank with a MasterCard logo, but the entire thing is blue. So basically the same card, just blue. The two. Okay. Including the MasterCard logo, also blue. Then there's one that says Instacard, whatever that is. And there's a gold American Express, which seems not fake at all. <laughs> it just says American Express. I feel like she would not have qualified for that. Well, her, I mean, it's probably her. Oh, dad. her dad. Yeah. That's true. And the fifth and final card is a New York City library card. <laughs> and I'm just wondering why is it that she needs to cut that last card up? At 1932, we hear the first tales of Phoebe's trauma filled childhood. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is the, like such a good little segment of writing. Yeah. 
She says at 14, her mom killed herself and her dad, stepdad was in prison. And the audience laughs like, so, like a belly laugh. And I like, I mean, I have trauma. I work as a therapist. I have other things to say about this from that perspective, but I never really understood why the joke of her mom killing herself was so funny and why people, this is the pilot. And she says those things like I'm 14. My mom had killed herself. My stepdad's in prison. I live with a guy in a car. Like, why is that funny? I think that it's because she keeps going. Okay. It's not just that her mom killed herself and her dad's in prison. It's the fact that her boy, like, like it's all of the things on top of it. And the fact that she ends with, and then I found aromatherapy. <laughs> so I totally so, get what you're saying. Yeah. So I totally understand. I totally relate. Like it, if they didn't take it to that extreme in the writing, I think it could have been really like, it, it wouldn't have landed as well. Yeah. But the fact that they pushed it so far that you're just like, Oh my God, it's still going. Oh my yeah. God. It's a, it's a train wreck. Yeah. It's still going. It's still going. And it ends with aromatherapy and that's what saved her. Okay. That's a good point. So Rachel and Monica and Ross are all watching TV in Monica's apartment. And you can hear the national anthem playing on the TV. Monica and Ross kiss each other. Oh, cuddling. <laughs> no. So then <laughs> when Monica gets up and stomps on Paul's watch, that homage to when he found, he was telling her about he, how he found the watch of his ex-girlfriend. It was just so good that she just carelessly went and just like stomped on it and went, it was, I loved that. It was so subtle. So good in her one night stand outfit. She's still got her sneakers on. She's still got the sweater around her waist. It's all good. Dude, burn it. <laughs> Why is she wearing sneakers? Yeah. 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 So then we're left with Mo- with Rachel and Ross alone. Just eating Oreos. Eat split splitting an Oreo. Splitting one Oreo. Which, but okay, can I can I just say? First of all, Rachel never finishes the Oreo. She like picks at it. She picks at it and they both pick at it, but then Ross eats it, which is gross because he has his fingers all over it. But I will say Rachel, I, I put this in my notes, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Rachel eats her Oreos exactly like me. How <laughs> so? It's there and she breaks it in half and she scrapes all the stuff, all of the innards on one and I do the same thing I scrape all the innards on one and eat the plain cookie or I dip the cookie in the the, like cream that I want and then I eat it and then I eat the other section but she just sits there and just scrapes (laughs) while she's talking and I was just like that's what I do it was weird she's got a little Monica in her too but then she never eats it, so it's a moo point. Oh. Whatever. It's a it's a moo point. You mean like a cow's opinion? <laughs> it's moo. Exactly. <laughs> so they're having this 
like dumb conversation where Ross is like, oh, I don't think you knew, but I had a crush on you. And she's like, oh, I knew. <laughs> and then he's like, so would it be okay if I maybe ask you out sometime? And she's like, yeah. And okay. So do it. Right. So do it now. She is like one, maybe two days maximum away from walking out of her wedding. She shouldn't get too excited because she's definitely rebounding. Like it's not about him at this point. And also he has not asked her out. He has asked her if he can ask her out later. Yeah. Yeah. She just gets up and walks off and goes to her bedroom. And he's just like, I grabbed a spoon. But like, no, no. If she agreed to go out with you, like she wouldn't just leave, like leave the room. It was weird. It seemed like weird writing. Like just ask her out. Yeah, and I think that that's where that's the that's the beauty of the show is that it's like it's those little pieces of hope, um, and that where they're they're all there for each other, even oh if God. it's not in that moment yeah. where he's like, "I'm gonna be your boyfriend." He's like, he's offering her something that is beyond what she has been stuck with. Yeah, and like he's he he represents a possibility. Yeah, and just the fact that maybe it is very uh, intentional that he doesn't ask her out because he knows she's not in the right place to receive it. And then he's like, he's actually giving her a gift of like, hey, when you're ready, like I'm here and I care about you. And her for her to hear that, like you said, there's something else out there, like somebody else is there for me. Someone else cares about me. I'm important. I'm val- I'm valid. Like, here's my therapy speak coming out, but... That's really, yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah. Very insightful, Sarah. I just really love them so much. <laughs> Me too. Um, so, okay. After this exchange, Rachel goes to bed. Ross is getting ready to leave. Monica comes out of her bedroom in what I can only assume are like her overweight grandfather's pajamas. They are so big on her. What is happening? Her shirt is like down to her ankles. It is so big. They're silk blue pajamas, like what Ricky Ricardo might wear. Um, <laughs> and I noticed that Monica, this entire episode, her haircut is the Rachel. Like, yeah. why did Rachel get all the, cre- like, Monica already has the haircut. Like, why did Rachel get it all? It could have been the Monica. That's a really good point. It's the same haircut. We should do a side by side because it looks the same. Like, it's okay. awful. Next week, let's do a deep dive into haircuts because I have something to say about Joey's bowl cut. Oh, good God. I didn't mention it, but dear Lord. (laughs) So at 23.04 on my account, the closing credits come. They're in the coffee shop. We're back where we started. Chandler's talking about another dream he had where he is in Vegas dressed as Liza Minnelli. And I have to say, this is some epic foreshadowing because his dad performs in a yes. whole gay male review in Vegas. He's the headliner of a gay burlesque show and dresses as Liza Minnelli. So yep. Thank you. Yes. No, the foreshadowing is deep in this one. Yes. Yes. I think that's it. I it took us so long to get through the pilot, but I think it was because there, it was so rich yeah. with foreshadowing. A lot of establishing going on. Yes. Yeah. 
I just love the friends so very much. I was just going to say the same thing. And also you. I love you it's, too. It's so fun doing this with you. And I'm so excited about just doing doing more of this and watching more. And, and oh my goodness, if we could get some actual actual friends or friends family yeah friends on this podcast to, an- to answer some questions man we'd love it um and if and if you're listening please send us your questions or what your observations because we want to figure out what what you're seeing and and see if we can offer some insight yeah because between the two of us like our watches were vastly different we noticed like totally opposite things. So what did we miss? What did we fuck up? Like bring it on. Yep. We can take it. Yeah. And also I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you, Sarah. Always. I love you. Bye friend. I love <laughs> you too. Bye guys. Better Friends Podcast is created, produced, edited, and all the other things by Ashley Madden and Sarah Reynan. Please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your questions to betterfriendswatchingfriends at gmail.com. To find out more about Better Friends, please check us out on Twitter at betterfriendpod or on Instagram at betterfriendswatchingfriends. Thanks for listening.